PhD is short for Doctor of Philosophy. This podcast shares tips of real-life doctoral students who will eventually defend a dissertation at the end of their academic journey. In this special edition of PhD Tips, we are joined by a special guest who will share their wisdom and five tips for students looking to successfully complete a PhD. If you have been following the ride, thank you for tuning back in. And if you are new, welcome to PhD Tips. Ophelia Oko is a medical student studying at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Before entering medical school, she gained experience working as a chief medical scribe, nursing assistant, and medical assistant. She earned a Bachelor's of Arts from Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts. Ophelia is passionate about patient education and advocacy, which she wants to instill in her practice as a family medicine physician. Please help me in welcoming Ophelia Oko. All right, we're live on the podcast. We have a special, special, special guest today because she is the first person who is not going to get a PhD as a terminal degree, but she is going to be a doctor of in her own right in medicine. So this is very special. And she's a friend of, well, she's a, she's a family friend. That's what she is. You know, if you meet somebody and they're not, it's exactly your family, you know, they're a family friend, but they're family. So Ophi is here on the podcast. Hello. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> so the reason why I asked Ophi to come on the podcast is, one, she has a very special story that I think that many people listening could um, learn from, not just because she's going to be a doctor in a few years, but because she picked up everything and she left. She left Little Worcester and went to Philadelphia to do school. So that whole perspective is is actually important because um, the places that we want to study usually is not in our hometown. So that'll be a piece of what we're going to talk about. But before we get going, I know in the pre-recording, people understand where you come from, who you are, but Ophi, who are you? Tell us how you're doing. Where do you go to school? Where do you work? Okay, well, um, first and foremost, um, I'm doing well. I'm just trying to um, survive in these crazy times. But other than that, um, I attend Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, and I am a first-year student there. Um, I am unemployed, obviously, because I'm busy with classes. But that's a little bit about where I am right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this podcast, as you know, I'm hoping it becomes a sort of North Star for the culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to explain what culture means because know. you know, you know you shouldn't. <laughs> if you if you don't know if you're if from you the culture, if you don't know, you don't know. You don't know. Cool. So, um, the first question I like to ask all of the guests who come on PhD Tips is to from basically from any earliest point that, that you want, explain your academic journey. You can start back from kindergarten all the way, or you can start in high school, wherever you want, um, to the point that you are today. Um, And I ask this question to let people know that everyone that enters this space as, you know, doctoral student, terminal degree medicines, 
You're just a regular person, so please tell me your academic journey. Yeah, so I feel like my story started in the womb, actually. So um, I'm actually a Ghanaian-American. So if you're an immigrant, you understand that options are limited. When you come out of the womb, you can be a doctor, lawyer, nurse, or engineer. <laughs> so I feel like perhaps psychologically, maybe that's why I wanted to pursue medicine. But um, it's always kind of been my oh yeah, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a doctor. And once I got to undergrad, I started working as a medical scribe and seeing exactly what I wanted to do with providers who were really amazing at their job and then providers who were, we should take their degrees away. Um, It really helped me to form a picture of what it looks like. Because I think one of the most dangerous things is not seeing the good, bad, and the ugly of the profession you want to enter into. And I think initially for me, it was like, let me just be a doctor. But there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of sacrifice. And seeing all of the kind of the dark side of medicine kind of helped me to realize. The like, dark side. Like, yeah, the dark. It's real dark. Mm. It's real dark. Um, but seeing the dark side of medicine, I think I weighed out the options and I thought about what are my giftings? What are my skills? What are things that I can do well? And I decided to kind of stick with it. So after undergrad, I took a few years off. I took the MCAT a few times. That was a struggle in itself, but I kept persevering and I'm here now. So we're thankful. Thankful, thankful. So before we jump into uh, talking about medicine and your career aspirations, um, that point I talked about earlier is, you know, you basically moved, I don't know, was it maybe a thousand or so miles away? It's um, only 240. A thousand if you walk there and back. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, it looks, it seems like a thousand. You can't just come home every day. But um, a big step, and I think in a lot of at least young professionals' lives and uh, students that are studying in places that are not their home, they have to leave. So um, I, we wanted to do this podcast like a, a month into your transition, but now considering you're at the end of your first semester, you have it all in perspective. So could you just share about, you know, one, your decision to actually do it, the feels that you had and, you know, how has it been? Yeah. So I think in the very beginning, I had my mind and heart set on going to a med school that was just down the street from where I lived. And I had a plan of just staying in Worcester for the rest of my life because I really value comfort. I really value family. But when I started this journey with the MCAT, the MCAT is the entrance exam that pre-med students take to get into med school. And that exam in itself was very difficult. It was a, a long three-year period of a trial. But once I took it, my grades really determined the places I could apply to, right? So obviously, we all see those stories where, you know, somebody with a a low score gets into a top-notch school. Um, But oftentimes, it means that their uncle's dad actually goes with the president (laughs) of the university, and that's how they got in. And that's not me. So I had to be realistic with myself. And for me, I think my desire to become a physician was stronger than my desire to be comfortable. Um, I knew that at at that point where I was with the grades that I had, um, with the score that I had, I should say, I had to kind of apply more broadly. 
So I literally applied to everywhere in the country because at this point I just wanted to get in and I feel like moving is just the season. Um, so there was some sketchy places I applied to. I went to um, Alaska. No, I didn't go to Alaska. <laughs> I went I went to Missouri and wow. literally I had to take three planes to get there. And the last one was like those planes where there's eight people in it. Oh, yeah. And they shake. yeah, as soon as I got onto like you know, the land, that's what it is. Yeah, the land. once I reached the land, mm-hmm. um, I was like, um, is there an Uber? And this guy was like, I am the Uber. <laughs> he was the only man driving a t- I was like, so as soon as I got to that <laughs> interview, I faked it till I make it, but I was like, this ain't it. So I kind of, you know, I obviously wanted to be in a more city environment. Um, I mean, Worcester isn't a it's a large town, I would say. It's a very large town. Yeah, it's a large town. But I knew I didn't want to be in the village or the bush. And that's where some of my interviews were. So I ultimately got an interview at a school in Philadelphia. And I am now residing in West Philly, I think. West Philly. Yeah. I think that's where Meek, Meek Mill, his people are from. I don't know where Meek Mill's from, actually. I don't know either. But I know some other people from the, West Philly. Um, his, his, uh, his bike crew, they be riding <laughs> back and forth, back and forth in front of my apartment. So, yeah, I decided to go to Philly, and it was... It was hard at first, I think, because when you're comfortable, nobody wants to leave comfort. You know, um, being the the benefit of being at home is that you come home, you open the fridge, and somebody already made food. For <laughs> and now, when I go home, if I didn't make food, I can open the fridge and close it back up because there's nothing there. So, it was definitely a difficult decision to make of trying to decide where I wanted to go. But I chose Philly because it felt a little bit more city-like. There was actually one school I got into and it was in Maine and it was two hours away. And I was this close to going Mm. just because it was that close. I don't want to. Oh yeah! Yikes! But um, I was this close to going just because I was like, oh, it's two hours away. I can come home on weekends. But when I went. When I tell you I searched all over, just for small, just, I'm not asking for a lot. Like, I'm not asking for a whole melanate. Like, I'm asking for small. And I didn't see it. So I had to make a decision. And I was like, do I want to go here, be close to home, and become the poster child for every brochure that this school makes? Or do I want to move away and be a little bit more comfortable in a space? So I ultimately decided that I'm not going to be a brochure person because <laughs> if you're not going to pay my tuition, why should I help you out? You didn't so, want to be token Ophi. Yeah, I didn't want to be. I've been a token in other spaces and it's just, yeah. they don't pay you. Mm-hmm. They don't even give you That's because you don't ask for them to pay you. That's true. Yeah, you got to <laughs> ask. True, you tell them. True. You're not using me. Yeah, so that's ultimately where I am. I'm in Philadelphia now. I I really enjoy the city life. The pandemic hasn't obviously allowed me to explore as much, but I like looking around and seeing people who look like me because in Maine, it wasn't going to be it. So you mentioned interviews and I remember in my, well, I only applied to this just one PhD program and there, it was an interview, but I think it was a lower stakes interview Mm -hmm. Uh, probably comparison to yours because you have to fly all over the place to meet these people. And I remember um, you and um, Nana's uh, sister and and Vanessa 
um, having to prepare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was stress. It seemed stressful, and I didn't do any of that stuff, so I know it's a different stakes. Yeah. So, could you explain about interview? Yeah. Um. So, the process is: you take your entrance exam. You obviously have your prerequisites from undergrad. Then you fill out um, kind of like a centralized application. Um, I forgot the one that we filled out, like going to college, but it's like a centralized application. They sent it out to all the schools. Schools send you all of these supplemental materials. You fill it out. Then if you get selected for an interview, I think at that point, I believe it's either like a one in three chance or a 50% chance of getting in. So you're either not getting in if you're a scammer and they sense it, (laughs) or if you're like, or if you're just not, you know, then they don't accept you. But most of the times, if you do like a good job, they'll accept you. Um, What I did to prepare was I did a few mock interviews um, with one of the doctors I worked with, with my pre-health advisor. And the one I did with my pre-health advisor, he actually recorded it. And then we watched it back. And that was actually something interesting. Nobody likes to hear themselves or see themselves because it's awkward. And you're like, is that what I look like and sound like? Mm -hmm. But it was good because you get to see kind of those things that you do that come off um, maybe a little awkward or don't come off the way you want it to come off. Um, So I did all of those. And then you just have to, you have to suit up. I went to Macy's, you know, I found myself a (laughs) nice, you know, I don't like to spend money, but I went and got a Calvin Klein, like little suit and (laughs) jacket. How many did you Um, get? Three, four, five? No, 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 I only got one. (laughs) I only have one jacket and a pantsuit and I got two shirts. That's all I could afford. Oh, they didn't take pictures of the interview so you can wear it again. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No one's going to know. So... Um, I just had to make sure that I prepared um, and you have to look right because when I went, you know, it's not good to judge people, but some of the people I saw, I was like, what are you wearing? <laughs> Is this nice for you? You know, I was like, I was really shocked by what I saw. But you just have to look the part. Um, and I think that helps you to be confident. Um, so, yeah, you just go on interviews. They usually have an info session followed by maybe like a campus tour. Um, and every school does interviews differently. So some of the interviews can be one on one, one with a panel, one with um, a group interview, um, maybe MMI, which is something where they ask you different questions to kind of just see your logic and thought process but every interview was different and I believe I I went to eight of them um you flew to eight different states I mean I took the bus sometimes but yeah so it yeah honestly this process is so expensive and I think medicine and a lot of these like higher education programs it's all a game of privilege you know because (laughs) the amount of debt I went into with my little DCU credit card like (laughs) I because everything I had to put on there or I had to pay myself and it's like your initial application you pay for your supplemental application you pay for the little Calvin Klein suit I went and got I had to pay for but fortunately my mom had some coupons you know Mm -hmm. so it's like Every part of this process is actually very expensive, um, but it's kind of an investment you have to make because you have to kind of throw your net out there and see what you get back. Mm-hmm. So before you, before we talk about, uh, usually in the PhD tips, we talk about a dissertation, but you don't do dissertations. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about uh, that part of your journey, mm-hmm. um this is a so you're in a, a a program where you're going to become a doctor and there's going to be no more school after that, right? 
this is a terminal degree? Yeah, after I finish residency, <laughs> then I'm done. <laughs> cool. So what is uh, the span of that? So right when you start medical school to when you become um, uh, Ophelia uh, Oko, when you become Ophelia Oko MD, doctor. Actually, I'm going to be a DO. 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 D, I don't know what that is. So you can explain what okay, that is. Okay, sure. I can explain. So how long is that part, that, that this process? Okay, so this process is um, really long. And it's four years of, you know, medical schooling. Um, but the way I see it, it's two years of being in a classroom setting and learning. And then two years of doing rotations and different specialties so that you can see what you like. Um, so after you complete that four years, then you do residency, but at least that you're getting some small chop money, you know, you're getting paid. Um, but your residency depends ultimately on what specialty you decide to do. So some specialties can be three years long. And then if you giddy giddy want to become a neurosurgeon, you're going to be up in there for like eight years. Um, but you're still getting small monies, you know? So you can be in there for, if you're trying to do the, the neurosurgery route, you might be in there for 12 years. Like, your whole yeah. process is, like, 12 years. Yeah, like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, you know why it's so long? Because they had so many years of being residents. Oh. Because, like, surgery specifically, it's a lot of years of residency. Yeah. Um, but they chose it. This is the life they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping to do family medicine, so three years. Um, so they do call you a doctor when you graduate after four years. Mm -hmm. But you're not kind of on your own and able to practice by yourself until you complete residency. So at that point, you can call yourself a healthcare professional? Yeah, not? I mean, you're still a healthcare professional when you graduate, but you're not... You're not serious. You're not getting the money to actually... <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not getting paid the rightful amount. Um, and then just to briefly talk about... Um, DO. So the, uh, the school I attend is an osteopathic medical school. So traditional medical school is allopathic. And mm -hmm. that results in an MD degree. Osteopathic medical schools result in a um, doctor of osteopathy degree. Both of these professions are going to do the exact same things. The only difference is that DO students are going to learn a little bit more about holistic medicine, if that makes sense. So we're learning the same exact things. It's just we take a little bit more into consideration how body function are interrelated, how you're not just treating a person's um, you know, sicknesses and diseases, mm -hmm. you're treating like them as an individual, like mind, body, and spirit. So there is a merger kind of going on. And so do you guys get paid more? No, it's the same. Like it's literally the so same. So you do more and you get paid the same. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, so essentially like back, back, back in the day, the person who founded osteopathic medicine, he was an MD mm -hmm. who was really concerned about how we're using a lot of toxic medicines and things to treat people. So he decided, how can we help the body to regulate and heal itself? Because back in the day, they didn't freaking have Tylenol. Mm -hmm. You had a headache, you figured it out. And he wanted to kind of go back to some of those things. So obviously we're not, um, we're not like witch doctors who are in the bush, like doing all these weird stuff. We do the same exact things, but we also learn these techniques to help the body get back to its proper function. Mm -hmm. So that's Remember why when I helped you out? That's why you're doing that um, masseuse thing. It's not class. masseuse. It's treatment. Treatment class. It's my own little ghetto OMM clinic. Remember <laughs> when I helped you out? Nope. Don't lie. I don't remember you. Don't do that. <laughs> Cliff is lying. I did help him out. You're welcome. So we're going to get into the part where we're talking about 
your career trajectory and also what you actually are doing now um, while you're in class. So uh, I guess you talked about it a little bit, but um, if you want to go a little bit more specific, talking about um, in your you, you you might be done in like seven or eight years when you're seven, on, seven years when you're on your own um, doing your doctor thing, making the real doctor money. Mm-hmm. What would you be doing? Yeah. So I've actually already thought about my entire life for um, the next several decades. Oh. Um, <laughs> I've thought about this a lot. So I know I want to go into family medicine. Um, like I said previously, um, I worked as a scribe and working in a family medicine clinic for me was really amazing um, just because you're seeing a variety of everything. So one patient visit, we can follow up on depression. The next can be um, chronic pain follow-up. Then, you know, follow-up after a stroke or hospitalization, things of that sort. So I love the variety that I saw in family medicine. So that's what I want to do. As far as what it actually looks like, I don't see myself working full-time just because I can't break my back for a system that um, wants to use me. Right? Well, you say you're not gonna work full time. What? As a physician. You you don't you don't have to be. You don't. You can do whatever you want. Wait. So you can just say, yeah, I'm I'm doing half time. Pay me the same. Okay, not pay. (laughs) You put Uh... in the hours. So I guess if you maybe find like a job that's salaried, but I don't know. No, you put in the hours, you get the check that you want. But I think what I want to do is like make myself available for other opportunities. Right. So some people when they get degrees such as these for them this is the end goal Mm -hmm. they're just going to use this degree to like work on that thing for the rest of their life but i feel like for me this degree is a door it's an opportunity to like do other things so i want to be involved in the community i don't know what that looks like yet but i want to be in the clinic like helping patients and then the other days of the week whether it's like teaching students teaching patients like working at a community center, having um, an osteopathic manipulative treatment clinic. Um, so a masseuse clinic. No, it's not masseuse, it's treatment. <laughs> it's treatment clip. So like those oh, things, that, so those places where you go in and you get a massage. No, clip, don't try to play me. We don't do massages. We do treatment. Oh. You're trying to play me and you're trying to act like I didn't help you out that last time. So I can't go to those places and say, hey, I have a health insurance. So this is the thing. You can go to a masseuse. You can go to a chiropractor and get those like individual specific things that they do. Doctors of osteopathy, they're physicians. So you can go to them for your regular stuff. And on top of that, they also know how to do soft tissue techniques. And you guys still get paid the same. Chiropractic techniques. And you need to leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm still going to be making a lot of monies, you know? Well, you just said you're going to be half time. But the thing is, so what I heard is that if you do some... Okay, I'm all for the people, but maybe in the beginning when I need to pay off my loans, I might do out-of-pocket OMM treatment one day a week and then collect the money of the rich people. Why the hate not? Wait, what's that? I don't know what that means. Like the little ghetto OMM clinic that I do, that I do for practice right now. Oh, you're saying you just open up a little OFI shop and then have it's, them come that's in. That's not going to be the name. But yeah, so I would do that. Maybe I can do that one day a week and do out of pocket. Can you accept insurance money? I think so. Well, if you, insurance money sometimes get tricky, but if you like, rich people have money. They'll just pay. They'll just pay. I'll just be like, I'm sorry, it's $100 per 30 minutes. They'll be like, bet. And they'll just take out their little wallets. Mm. 
So right. who knows? We're we're rolling off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so so y- your career is set, and yeah. your next thirty years of your life is also set. Cool. Hopefully. So what? This is your you know your first semester is done, and this is probably um, not even relatively speaking, probably totally different um, than it would be next year if we are out of our pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your typical day like now as a student? Mm-hmm. And what and, and if you could maybe uh, forecast or speak about what you heard, what classes are usually like out of a pandemic? Yeah, so right now, should I go like hour by hour? Like when no, I wake you up? know, generally. Okay. Yeah, so I wake up. Classes, um, what, how many classes yeah. you have? So our first semester was a lot of the sciences like genetics, biochemistry, blah, 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 blah. Um, this semester we're taking anatomy and physiology. So we're kind of getting more into the things that are maybe more applicable. But essentially your day really varies you're in class like 8 to 12 maybe then maybe you have an afternoon class and then you might have lab whether it's um, omm lab where we learn the different treatment techniques um whether it's primary care skills lab where we learn like hey this is how you become a physician this is how you interview patients do all these skills um And for this semester specifically, anatomy is put off because of the pandemic. So we're hoping to get into the anatomy lab where we're working on um, donor bodies. We're working on those. We don't say cadavers because it's a human being that lived and walked the earth. Um, Wait, what are you talking about? Donor bodies? Like like, it's instead of saying cadaver. What's a cadaver? It's the body that we dissect. A real body? Well, not alive. Oh, because <laughs> so, you're learning. So in class, you're learning like, hey, guys, these are all the shoulder muscles and innervations. I'm a real per- a person. I used to a live. human. I'm not going to veterinary school. So you're learning the basics and then you go into lab and then you're finding those structures in the, the, the you know, human donor body. So this is why they ask if I can be a donor on my license. No, that's different. That's if you die, then you can give your like heart to someone. This is like people who have passed away who wanted to give their body to science so that students and researchers can work on their bodies like once they die. Um, But yeah, so anatomy, hopefully if things are settled with the pandemic, we'll be doing that. But typically it's more active where you're going to campus multiple times um, a week and stuff like that. Right now, everything is online. Uh And I'm not upset because you could be sitting there in your pajamas and your little head wrap, (laughs) no wig, and nobody knows. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like- The wig part, I don't know what you mean, but I get it. (laughs) Like, unfortunately, there's been moments where I've been chilling and they're like, all right, guys, so when I call on you, make sure to turn on your cameras. And then I have to run around, take off my little head wrap and like- look presentable (laughs) but i personally feel that once the pandemic is over i will be chilling at home because for us classes are optional to attend you can watch the recording afterwards um i I definitely feel for my brothers and sisters in medicine who have to go to class because it just wouldn't be it for me yeah 
I can't. Yeah, I that's good can't. that they make it optional because they're gonna record it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, like why? Why it. is it by force that I have to come and watch you say the thing when I can watch it later? But that's pretty much a typical day of classes. Then um, I'll do a little lunch break in between, maybe watch some Moesha or something like a, <laughs> you know, a quick little episode, and then I'll just study for the rest of the night until it's time to go to bed. Unfortunately, yeah, I can only imagine for um, people studying medicine and be to be or to be physicians and maybe in the year two or year one and a half they're not going to be able to like you're saying test people's donation bodies or physically do stuff that doctors do because yeah so that's the thing it's we don't really get to do too much but we do have interactions with patients where We'll do mock like interviews. They'll come in with a problem and we have to, you know, practice our question asking skills and then um, Mm -hmm. kind of start to think about diagnosis and stuff like that. But that's the cool thing for us as osteopathic medical students, because we have OMM lab where we learn those treatments from like week one you're learning how to like put your hands on patients because I don't know if you've noticed, but do you go to the doctor for preventative health? No. Okay, that's not, not really. good. Preventative, um, what's, what's that? What's those ones? So you go to the doctor before an issue happens so we can prevent the issues from happening. How do I know? I go... Do you go with, to your yearly physical? I miss a year sometimes. Oh, my goodness. Everybody misses a year sometimes. <laughs> no, not me. I go every year. <laughs> well, you're in the healthcare industry. Yeah, I go every... We'll talk about this after. I go, to, I go with my dentist all the time. No, you need to go to your physician every year. Or when I need my yellow fever shot to go to Ghana, I go... No, stop. You only went one year. Stop, <laughs> stop what you're doing. But um, for osteopathic medical students, we're learning how to put our hands on patients from day one. So we're going to be comfortable like interacting with patients a little bit better. Because it is awkward touching people. You're touching them. Yeah, that's weird. You know, it's freaking weird. Like in lab, we're wearing like our little sports bra and some poom poom shorts. And we have to like do treatments on each other. It's freaking weird. Well, you guys have to wear sports bras and poom poom shorts? Yeah, because they have to touch the skin and do all these Oh, 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 you have to be the... Oh, you, I, so yeah. Oh. So you have a lab partner, and then you tr- do treatments on them. They do treatments. On oh, you. that's messed up. No, but it's good because you're learning how to like touch but it's patients like, and interact with them. You're basically like, naked in front of a person you don't. You're not know. naked, and I mean, like I said, it was awkward the first time, but then you look around, and we're like, we're we're all kind of <laughs> naked, so whatever. So that so that brings in a whole nother piece because I do remember us this vague conversation about. One, you're in medicine, and you probably are like a, uh, 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 you're the probably only black person in uh, of a sixteen si- of us. Sixteen. Okay, <laughs> how big is the program? Three hundred and something. No, so, two hundred and something. So when all the people are, you know, examining, um, it must be, uh, I don't know what the word might be, infuriating or more than weird when you have to be filled up on by, um someone of a lighter hue than you say what you want to say (laughs) so do you ever you know how when you're in public it's like oh let me touch your hair it's like you are the subject okay well i guess because it's reciprocated like i do the treatments on my partner my partner does the treatment on me i think that kind of like it doesn't cross my mind as much but i think there's always a constant awareness of the fact that it's like wow there's like 
18 or 19 of us in a class of like 200 and something. Like, why is that? Um, and med- like when I was talking about the dark side of medicine, not just speaking about like providers who are disrespectful and are problematic, but just the history of medicine is very rooted in a lot of just just a lot like experimentation on black and brown people like a lot of the things that we benefit from today for example birth control that came from the testing of i believe um women in puerto rico Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's something that we enjoy women use it blah 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 blah. but it's like a a person had to be tested Mm -hmm. on um unjustly in order for us to get these things so i feel like that's always something that goes in the back of my mind um and every now and then somebody acts up, somebody says something and it makes you wonder like, hmm, so when you guys accept these students into these programs, do you <laughs> ask them about their biases? Do you fit, because you're going to be working with human beings, mm-hmm. you know? So do you harbor any of these feelings, any of these, um, these stereotypes that are eventually going to be harming patients? Yep. Um and it's hard to bring that out because if we're talking about biochemistry, where in the biochemistry conversation is it going to show that you're actually disrespectful? Like, it's not going to come out as easily. And also, I remember when you were saying that you were in your that class when trying to figure out symptoms of a person if they're feeling some type of way about some illness they might be having, like you have to feel their hair um, to you know, ensure that something, it's like a proxy. If someone's hair feels like matted or silky or whatever, (laughs) whatever it might be. I said said brittle and dry. Brittle and dry. I didn't say matted. So like black women, they like to fix up their hair. They Sometimes they like to wear wigs. They do extensions. They do braids. And sometimes the hair that the doctor might not be, might be feeling is not their own. So they might miss diagnose them (laughs) with something. So I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, uh, this must happen all the time because the diversity in medicine isn't yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, this person has this thing. It's like, no, that's not even in my hair. So Yeah. So, I mean, a part of me is like, that's not my problem because I'm going <laughs> to know. And um, I don't know. I honestly feel like people should do their own. Edu- like, How? Chris, Chris Rock made a movie. Do you remember that movie? It was called Good Hair. I didn't watch it. Okay. Well, he made a movie. He went through like, this is a perm. This is a weave. This is brave. Like, I heard about why it. Why can't we show that as a part of the we curriculum? We can't. That, oh, no. <laughs> that Chris Rock, he probably was trying to be <laughs> hilarious. But it was very educational. <laughs> so, I mean, I did have an experience where like, it was, we were doing the head and scalp um, exam and um <sighs> At the time, I had some faux locks and... Um, Explain what faux locks are for the people who like, don't know it. It looks like locks, but fake ones. So um, I did my little faux locks. And when it was time for my partner to do the head exam, um, she touched the faux lock. And I was like, I didn't want to say anything because I'm like, this is not my problem. Like, <laughs> you need to figure this out, sis. But I was like... Um, yeah, that's that's actually not my hair. Um, my the roots, of, the roots of my hair are actually like right here. She was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then she touched it. She's like, oh, it's curly. I was like, yeah, let's just move along. Um, so I don't know. I guess that was a moment where I kind of felt like a project. Like I felt like I had to, why, why do I have to teach you this? Like why is it? That's not it, your job. It's not my job. But for the sake of the, um, the marginalized patients that, are going to encounter these 
um, physicians um, who sometimes are ignorant, sometimes they're arrogant. Like it's a sacrifice, but I'd rather like do it. And not everybody, you know what I mean? Like not mm-hmm. every medical student is going to feel this way, but if I have to have those conversations with, you know, lab partners and stuff like that, I'll do what I have to do so they don't go kill somebody. <laughs> not kill somebody, yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah, medical negligence and, and things of that sort. So this... All right, so we can go on on, on a lot about this, but you you said we were going to be done with this un, in under thirty minutes, but we're at thirty five. So you know, because you know why you said you said that because you said I'm, you didn't say it was useless, <laughs> but you said that I'm not important. You said oh, that, that's not saying important. I said you just started school, you might not have a lot to say. Okay, and guess what? You had a lot. But to you know say what? You said that questions. I wasn't perfect. You said I only work with professionals, and you're not one of them. <laughs> No, I didn't say That's that. That's what you said. I was, Anywho, next I was question, being sir. Facetious. It's I okay. Kidding. Next question. <laughs> so, we want to talk about um, before we talk about your tips to the aspiring uh, med school student, and eventually, well, you're not you didn't do your residency yet, so med school student. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you alluded to it at the very beginning when you talked about how the impetus of your being a doctor was in the womb but can do you remember the exact moment when you was like yes it's not going to be accounting it's not going to be engineering but it's going to be doctor physician medicine knower um i feel like at some point in high school i did a process of elimination i kind of looked at because you know and at some point in high school they start giving out those um you know, career assessment exams and stuff like that. So I kind of just thought about what are my skill sets? What are things that I enjoy doing? um, And what careers can kind of match that? So I love education, but kids are disrespectful. So I was like, I can't be a teacher. Like I just, you know, God bless the teachers out there. They're working hard because I just can't, I can't work with them. Um, So I was like, I can't be a teacher. I don't like a lot of math. So that eliminates like another branch of careers. Um, I love working with people and helping people. Um, and medicine, I think at least in family medicine, because you're the person's like long-term care provider that you might be seeing either once a year or once every like three to four months if you have a chronic condition, mm-hmm. um, you're really developing a strong relationship with that patient. And in that relationship, you're not only just like their physician, but you're taking on multiple roles of being a confidant, you're being um, a counselor, an encourager, um, like a cheerleader, like all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So in high school, I think as I thought about what career would allow me to do multiple of these things um, and having a mentor to talk these things out with allowed me to kind of hone in on medicine. But I don't think I had like a light bulb moment of like, this is like I said, it was in the womb that they instilled it in me. So it was just kind of like there. <laughs> I confirmed it in high school. Then I saw it as a medical scribe. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, I'm definitely sure this is what I want to do. And you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can see I, you, some days, some days <laughs> you know, some days are um, not as easy as others. Um, some days I'm like, why am I here? But this is why mentorship is so important. Like, Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that if I didn't have a mentor, 
I wouldn't be standing here today because there were a lot of haters along the way. There were a lot of enemies of progress. There were a lot of naysayers. Um, and there was one, you know, enemy of progress and specifically who, you know, I thought that I don't want to put no names out there, but I thought that, you know, as a, as a black woman, like trying to see black people succeed, she would encourage me. And she was like, yeah, I don't think this is it for me. And after that meeting, like I cried, I was like, is this it for me? Is this not what I'm supposed to be doing? And I called my mentor and she was like, don't listen to her. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you don't have someone to encourage you along the way, it's actually going to be a lot harder because some of these programs are just so rigorous that they intentionally make it hard to weed people out. And unfortunately, the people who are left are people who can do well on their exams, but come and see them in the patient room and they're not going to do a good job, Mm. you know? So who is your mentor? Who is your encourager? That person that you can go back to and ask questions to... um, You're already into the tips. Oh, I am. Uh Uh-oh, let me slow down. down. Go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) So let's let's, let's transition. So you, on average, um, people give about three tips for their, for the the prospective either PhD student, doc student, or medicine studier. Um, So if you would give tips to a incoming uh, student that's going to be in your shoes, um, or is thinking about being in your shoes, mm-hmm. what would some of those tips be? And, you know, you can say as many as or as least as you want. Okay. So I kind of already went over the first one, mentorship. That's very important to me. Um, and I value that. I think another tip I could probably give is be sure that this is what you want to do. Um, like I said, a lot of these immigrant kids out here, they want to be doctors, lawyers, engineers. And guess what? They don't want to freaking do it. They're just lying to themselves because they want to like please their parents. And I know, I mean, fortunately for me, the career I want to do pleases my parents. So, you know, it balances out for me. But be sure that this is what you want to do. Because ultimately, be sure this is what you want to do. Because ultimately, um, you're the one who's going to be taking these classes. You're the one who's going to pay all this money. And if it's not what you really want to do in your heart, you're just going to be wasting um, time and energy. Um, So yeah, mentorship, be sure this is what you want to do. Um, Do not be discouraged. Um, There's a lot of unmelanated um, classmates that you will have. Yikes. I tried to say it as nice as possible. I say lighter hue. Lighter hue. But unmelanated is nice too. Well, they have melanin. Unmelanated is almost like shady. Yeah, well, no. Okay, let me retract that. They have melanin, <laughs> but just not a lot of it. Um, so, non, non-black white people. Yeah, let's just say let's what it call is. like it is. Um, so you know, you're gonna enter a profession where there's a lot of white people. Um, and sometimes you're gonna have that imposter syndrome, and everyone experiences imposter syndrome at some point. But as like a black student or a brown student, imposter syndrome is like on a different level. Um, so. When you're shining your eyes, looking to your left and looking to your right, do not be discouraged. Even if there's one um, melanated person in the class, see if you can become friends with them. See if you can find like community because community is the only way you're going to get through this. This is not a journey to be taking on your own. Um, Otherwise, as far as tips, um, let's see have a support system who's your ride or die like let me tell you i have a friend and you know the friend i'm talking about she's a little rude but um when i call her and i'm complaining she's like honey 
you wanted to do this so why are you crying <laughs> so sometimes i'll call her when i need like a harsh wake me up and then sometimes i don't call her because she's kind of mean to me um but either way she's one of the many people in my support system so i think that you have to have the people that you call you have to have the people that you rely on when times get difficult um, I feel like those are all my tips. Nice. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So before we wrap it up, please let people know how they could find you and reach out to you on social media or some other place. Yeah. So let me give you all the deets. So, um, find me on Instagram, black palette. Um, you can also, I also have a podcast like clip. Um, it's off season right now. I'm a little busy, but, um, at hear her speak. You can also email me at gmail, um, O-K-O-H, Ophelia. Um, should I spell that for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. O-K-O-H, O-P-H-E-L-I-A at gmail.com. Please, please, please reach out. If you're a first gen, if you're a student of color, if you need mentorship, I am here for you because when I succeed, we succeed. When you succeed, we all succeed. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. And you know, like I always say, don't worry. Because the victory is already won. All right. <laughs> That's Ophi, y'all. Oh. Oh. Thank you for tuning in. Check back sometime soon for more PhD tips. Until next time, peace.